Oh, so good. Uh, really do encourage you to consider sponsorship. Um, and Todd's going to talk about a specific project uh, that we're helping with next week. So uh, please make sure to, to check it out. Pray it and consider it. Um, and uh, looking forward to seeing everyone. God willing, uh, Friday night, pray for good weather for us at San Jacinto Plaza that uh, we'd be able to have lots of people come hear the message of Jesus. We don't know if we'll ever be able to do this again. We'll see if, what they think. Uh, we told them pretty clearly we're going to talk about Jesus, and they were like, okay, um, we'll see. Uh, but we're just praying the Lord uses this. So it, this is a great thing to invite a friend to as well. If you've got somebody from uh, your work or your neighborhood or your family that may be like hesitant about coming to a church, man, it is super non-threatening to just say, hey, meet me down in the plaza. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Uh, my church is doing a concert down there, and it's a great way to build that relationship uh, as well. So uh, in uh, turning our attention to God's word, we have been in 1 Corinthians, and we have been specifically in a session or a section of First Corinthians talking about contentment related to our relationship status. And so I want to invite uh, my friend Krista to come share with us about uh, what the Lord has done in her life in that area. So please welcome her, guys, as she comes to share. Thanks, friend. Good morning. Okay, so let's start with this. Um, please raise your hand if you have ever been single during the holidays. Keep your hand up if it's the worst time of year to be single. <laughs> I agree. Spoiler alert, we're about to talk about contentment. That said, here we go. I am 36, never married, no kids, and single as a Pringle. When I look back at my life, I think I can describe in a few words the summation of my feelings. Well, that didn't go as planned. I live a life that I absolutely did not want in any way. And I'm not going to lie to you guys, it is comical to me that I've never been happier. I have a dog I wouldn't have chosen. I started a business I didn't want to start. And I never got the house husband or the kids. And guess what? I've never been happier. Guys, I didn't know it was possible to be this content while being single. I'm terrified of public speaking, by the way, and I prayed a lot for this week for God to remove me and my fear from the equation so he could use me as a vessel to speak life into anybody who is unhappy or hurting this morning, right now. These are the holidays. Singleness is anything but cute during the holidays, but this year it's not difficult for me like it used to be because this year I'm content with being single. And there's something I see more clearly now in a different way than just a few years ago. And I want to share it with anyone else who needs to hear it. Number one, you are not alone. You are not alone, my friend. And number two, the grass is not greener on the other side. It is greener where you water it. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Krista Snow. My parents are Dick and Liz. And I was basically born in this church. I was dedicated on this stage, baptized right back there. Um, I grew up in this church for the first 20 odd years of my life. And the reason that I have not met some of you is because I left this church for the better part of 10 years, till a few years ago when God called me back. To explain why I'm back, I need to explain why I left. So let me back up a little. Okay, first of all, my life was not supposed to be complicated. I didn't have lofty aspirations. In fact, I felt like I was a simple one. I just wanted to find my person, be a mom, have a family. I wanted to follow in my parents' footsteps. And as I neared my mid-20s, suddenly everyone paired off over a couple of years, kind of like dominoes for any of you guys who remember that slew of weddings. I questioned God, pleading and begging. I compared myself to everyone that I wasn't. And I began to build a subconscious bitterness toward God and the church thing that I had dedicated my life to, only to be disappointed when my desire for marriage was never fulfilled. I didn't understand why I thought I had done everything right. I only wanted love, but I never got it. So my church attendance began to dwindle around my mid-20s little by little as I distanced myself from the life I didn't feel good enough for. And then my career took off and I charged up the success ladder. It was great for a while, had a great career, successful reputation, built a name for myself, and I was respected. I was smiling on the outside, but inside my heart ached. And then it all fell apart. Four years ago, my life blew up. 
And I watched all of the things that I had clung to for validation be taken away one by one. My work, my car, my financial freedom, my boyfriend. When my life fell apart, I lost every single thing I had begun to build value in instead of building my life to honor God and his commands. It was the worst time of my life. And one night in the darkness and turmoil, I cried out to God. And in that moment, God wrapped his arms around me in a way that I could feel where I knew he loved me and he was real. And I knew that without a doubt for the first time in my entire life. I changed. I knew at that moment I had to try one more time to do it God's way with an open mind and heart. I changed in a lot of ways, and one of them was to stop complaining and start being thankful. Instead, I started to look at everything I do have instead of everything I don't, and I learned over and over how gratitude overcomes discontent. There is only room for one, and as one grows larger, the other diminishes. Gratitude changed everything for me, guys. When I forced myself to be grateful to God for the things I didn't want, I began to realize just how beautiful those things could be. I lost my place. <laughs> um, I wouldn't change my story for anything. And let me tell you, to be able to say that right now, friends, just truly shows the power of the sovereign God we serve. We hold on to the things we want so badly because it's terrifying to let go of the possibility that the life we dream, imagine, and want might not happen. But when I began to look at God's goodness and grace in my life, and when I practiced gratitude, I began to see those things as gifts from God instead of seeing them as a thorn in my side. Practicing contentment is a choice. Obedience to God is a choice. And friends, obedience unlocks, unlocks understanding. God calls us to be obedient without understanding it. He calls us to be faithful. And when we are obedient to what he's asked us, asked of us, we're able to look back at a lot of things and understand why. But the obedience has to happen first before we can look back and see the why behind the what. We keep asking God why, but are you willing to put aside everything you want and truly ask God what he wants for your life? For me, change didn't happen overnight. It didn't even happen at all sometimes. But little by little, I changed and I sought God more and more. And one day in 2022, God healed me in a powerful way and I will never be the same again. It was the day I finally, re finally realized I am enough. I am content and I am happy for the first time in an all new way. And God wants you to live in such a way that you are satisfied and content in him alone. Here's the truth, friends. We are loved, we are enough, we are forgiven, we are redeemed, and we are children of the one true king. We are sons and daughters of the most high God of the universe, and we get to spend eternity with him. We can focus on eternity or we can focus on our feelings. The problem is that feelings don't align with God. Feelings don't align with truth. Feelings are what comes out of our hurt, childhood trauma, and our sinful human nature, but what is most important is truth. It may not be okay, but we will be okay because when everything else changes, God does it. We have hope. We have unconditional love. We have the promise of eternity. Let's do kingdom work and start a revolution of winning souls for Jesus. It starts with us in our own hearts and in the way that we conduct ourselves in our lives. Satan doesn't care about the lukewarm. They aren't a threat to him. I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be a threat to evil. And I want to live in such a way that the ones around me know exactly what I live for and who I serve. Do you? I'll close with this reminder. Jesus is always better. Great job. Thanks, Fred. Thanks. Amen. Well, let's, uh, in light of that, open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we continue to learn about contentment, especially in relationships, uh, is often rooted in realities and truths that are so different from the world around us and what it values. Um, and when we begin to live in a way that seems upside down to the world but is really right side up in the kingdom, it transforms our perspective. And so let's see what the Lord has next for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we answer this one big question today. How does living forever, how does eternity change contentment here 
and now. We're going to begin reading chapter 7, verse 25. This is God's word. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And let those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. This is God's word. Lord, I pray you give us ears to hear and give us eyes to see. May we have our perspective turned right side up with the word of God this morning. Amen. Well, I remember buying my first set of furniture. Uh, I did not know how to do that. I did not know what to buy, but I was in Maryland. I was at this giant, if you've ever been to another big city, uh, this Ikea mega store, which is this like, I don't even know, it's like Swedish furniture, Disneyland is the best way I could describe it. And they sell cheap stuff. They sell nice stuff, but they also sell really, really cheap stuff. It is the savior of many a college student around the country. And so I walked into this Ikea with a certain amount of money and, and I carefully had to decide, like, okay, I don't have, and I, I had no furniture. I had, like, zero furniture. I had all my childhood furniture back at my parents' house, and so I got nothing. I had to find something to sleep on, some kind of thing to put my clothes in, some kind of table to put things on. I, I didn't even have, like, a, an extension cord. Um, I, I, I owned literally nothing. And so we walked through, got some stuff, and then here, here's uh, what I walked out with. I walked out with like a $5 end table, which it was, it, I understood later why it was $5. Its leg fell off all the time. I held it together with tape. Um, I walked out with a, a bed, like one of those like weird couch bed contraption things that transforms. And the comfort level of the bed was as if you took prison bars, flipped them on like face down and put a blanket over them. That's what the mattress felt like. And a few other things, like, you know, and, and here's the reality as I was walking out. I remember thinking, having this dilemma, I really would like to buy a nicer bed. I'd really like to buy a nicer end table. I'd really like to buy all these things. And yet, what I, what I drove back to where I was staying with was all of this very, very cheap, temporary stuff because of one, well, actually two realities that changed everything I bought. Reality number one was I was only going to live in Maryland. I was supposed to only live there for three months. Ended up being like seven or eight months. But I was only supposed to live there three months. So any furniture I'm buying is three-month furniture because, number two, the only things I'm bringing home with me are whatever I can fit into or on top of my beloved 2007 Pontiac Vibe. And if you've never had the privilege of seeing or writing in a 2007 Pontiac Vibe, let me just tell you, it is a wonderful experience, but it is not, uh, it's not known for space. And so here's the reality. I bought a bunch of things, and, and as I bought each thing, here's the test I went through. Do I really want to spend money on something that I'm going to use for three months, and can I fit it into my car at the end of the, of the internship? Though, that really changed a lot of what I bought. Um, and that simple calculus, meaning, does this last, and is it worth it now, is the calculus the text is offering us for how to navigate relationships and life. Because what Paul is going to do in this section of Scripture is he's first going to counsel a group of engaged couples who are coming to him as a pastor. They've written as part of the Corinthian letter. They want specific advice for them. But Paul is going to respond with some pastoral advice, but more than that, a principle. A principle 
that the way we make relational decisions and life decisions should be shaped by the fact that life is short, eternity is long. And that changes everything. Okay, life is short, eternity is long, that changes your relationships, that changes what you buy, that changes the way you mourn and rejoice, that changes the way you think about the world around you. Everything in life gets changed with that simple calculus. In, in a sense, if you could say it this way, that Paul is charging us to remember not everything is going to fit into the 2007 Pontiac vibe at the end of our lives. Right, only a few things, we're only, only a few things in life will transfer into eternity. And what you have now is only going to be there for a second. So live accordingly. All right, so two sections today uh, and then a few brief applications. The first section is this, pastoral advice for some. Pastoral advice for some people, verses 25 through 28. Now, it's, it's likely that the church has written to Paul and asked for his advice on the issue of whether they should be married. Now, in, in the ancient world, betrothal worked a little bit different from engagement. It was very difficult to break a, a betrothal. It was almost like a marriage that had not been fulfilled yet. And so uh, they write to Paul because some of the things Paul references, there are a number of in interesting, difficult circumstances around the time period they lived through. And they wanted to know what Paul thought they should do. Now, some of them were probably influenced by Stoic philosophy, which meant, like, just ignore all earthly, fleshly concerns and instead just think about spiritual things. Meaning you should never get married. And Paul's not married and he's going to agree with us. Now, other people would probably influenced by the world around them, which marriage was extremely important for this time period. Not, and notice this, it wasn't looked at as the avenue of personal fulfillment it is in the 21st century America. It was looked at as your social safety, your standing, your uh, economic life, your family life, your legacy was all wrapped up in getting married. And so they would probably go back to like Genesis 1 and 2 and, and where God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so they, would, they were thinking, well, Paul's a Bible scholar. Of course he's going to agree with us. And here are the two things that Paul was facing. This group said, it's always better in every circumstance to be single and be spiritual. And this other group said, no, no, no. It's always better in every circumstance to be married. Which is it, Paul? And so that's where he wades into with pastoral counsel. Now, it's important to notice that these verses, 25 to 28, and the subsequent verses that we're going to cover next week, uh, were, were very pastoral, very specific advice to a specific situation. Andy Nacelli, who is a scholar uh, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, write this. Paul, again, clarifies that Jesus did not directly address this issue during his earthly ministry. But unlike in verse 12, in verses 25 through 40, Paul shares his reasoned opinion and does not command the Corinthians what to do. The situation is a wisdom issue in which Christians may choose different options. Uh, Gordon Fee agrees and says, what is said is so clearly a full qualification that it renders the imperatives, meaning the commands of verse 27, to be strictly advice. So here's what you have to understand. Paul is counseling a specific group of people in a specific situation, but even in that advice, he is making clear that neither option is sin and either could be wise in their particular situation. Now, a lot of this, though, is also shaped by what Paul references in uh, the text as the present distress. Verse 26 says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So another way that could be phrased in your translation could be impending distress. Again, Andy Nacelli helps us understand the context. The present distress refers to a crisis, a state of distress or trouble most likely resulting from a grain famine in A.D. 51 that caused a food shortage in Greece that may have lasted up to five years. The crisis probably included social unrest, i.e. riots, and economic uncertainty, i.e. panicked buying. And so he, Nacelli's saying, listen, but part of, we don't know exactly what the present distress is, but his language makes it clear that there is some kind of 
upheaval going on around them in this particular church. And a background to that is also the rise of the emperor Nero, which, as you know, was no friend to Christians. And Christian persecution from Nero ended up spreading most cleanly and clearly to Roman colonies like Corinth. Okay, so all that is swirling around. And so these couples come and Paul sits down with them and he goes, okay, listen, listen, I'm going to be clear. Neither choice is bad. But if I had to counsel you, I probably would counsel you that you, you stay engaged and not get married yet or maybe not get engaged at this moment because of the upheaval going on in the world around you and the difficulties it will create to be a newly married couple right now. And it will also practically limit certain ways of you serving the Lord through this season. Right? But he's clear neither is a bad choice. So, well, you, if you're single, you're going, okay, well, that doesn't help me. I'm not living in the first century in the middle of a grain crisis. Right? I, I, like, so what am I supposed to do here? Well, I think the principle applies. The principle is this. Paul is clear that both singleness and marriage are a gift and clear that you need wisdom in deciding in each season of life which is right. Okay? That's the clear principle. And I think it's so important and so helpful because you will receive pressure to either go back to the stoic group that says singleness is the only way or the first century family group that's like, no, marriage is the only way. And Paul says, Neither are the only way of serving the Lord. Neither are the only gift. Stephen Um, in his commentary on this text, says this. Although traditional cultures elevate marriage at the expense of singleness, which is true, modern cultures are beginning to do the opposite. Singleness is becoming not a sign of social failure, but a social success. A mark of liberation from the traditional paradigms of living. But Paul refuses to go to either extreme. He recognizes that it is legitimate to be single, but that it's legitimate to be married too. Now, if you are single today, especially in El Paso, man, I think you're going to face challenges and temptations on both sides. I think if you have a family, especially, that's conservative or traditional, it can make you feel at times like marriage is the only legitimate state of life. Right? Around the holidays, if you, listen, I've talked to a number of single friends that they're like, yeah, around the holidays, you start getting a lot of hints from your parents about where their grandchildren are. Like, Miha, why haven't you settled down by now? Like, how many more Christmases am I going to spend without grandchildren? Right? You're going to, you're, 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 <laughs> this happened to me, that your, your tias will begin to bring up old girls that they've seen you with like 20 years ago. Like, what happened to Crystal? Like, tia, that was middle school. Like, oh, but you and Crystal were such a good match. You should call her. You should see her on the Facebook. You know, you should find her. And, and maybe you, yeah, I've talked to people. They're like, yeah, that's my life. I just know. Going in Christmas Day, one of the things is going to be, oh, it's so good to see you, mijo. Where are my grandchildren? Like, that's just your life. And here's where this text helps, okay? It helps because Paul reminds us that from God's perspective, chapter 7, verse 6 is, chapter 7 is true. I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Meaning, marriage is not the only gift. Marriage is not the thing that will complete your life. Marriage is a gift and can be a good gift, but we have to be careful not to put marriage in a place that God has not placed it. It's not the be-all. It's not the end-all. It doesn't mean you finally matter. Friend, you matter to the Lord right now. He sent his son for you. To be free of perhaps that unbiblical pressure. But on the other side, our progressive and modern culture will often hold out singleness as the sort of be-all, end-all as well. That, that freedom and self-expression are the ultimate status symbol sometimes in America. The freedom to date and dump people with impunity. The, the freedom to always you know, have the next relationship. Always have that spark. Spark after spark. And then when it begins to fade, you just go find someone else. The freedom to not be tied down to move to this city or go on that trip. to uh, on, a, on a whim, decide you want to go to Patagonia and hike down there, right? That, that in many ways is the modern ideal, the pinnacle. 
But here's what I want you to hear. Singleness and that freedom of self-expression is not the ultimate goal of your life. Uh, it is not the thing that will complete you. It is not the thing that means that you matter. That as soon as, listen, this is real. As soon as you get tied down to a wife and kids, all of a sudden who you are just dies. Right? And we even joke about this at times. Like, yeah, I, you know, back when I was alive, before I was married, before I had all these kids to tie me down, I could do what I wanted to do. Right? But the reality is that's wrong. Paul says that is a gift as well. If you're married, if you have kids, that is a gift from the Lord and a good one. And if you as a single, if the Lord gives that gift to you, man, embrace it and receive it as a gift, not as the gift, because the gift is only Christ. The gift is eternity with Him. So you begin to see either as a gift. Now, uh, the other, I think, application for singles here is simply this, that that. To decide between good things, most decisions in life aren't deciding between like, oh, should I rob a bank or go to church? That's just not most of the time the decisions you're making. Often there, here's a good thing, here's also a good thing, what should I choose? And when that happens, follow the example of the Corinthians. Ask Paul, ask a Paul in your life, right, a godly seasoned Christian, what do you think I should do? And let me just bring this in love as a pastor. I, I, I just have a growing concern for Christian singles in particular that the way that relationships often happen in this modern world, you, the person dating is the only person who really knows the ins and outs of that relationship, right? And they only reveal pieces of what's going on to those around them. And there's no one around that you can go to for godly counsel. There's no one that you've brought into the relationship going, hey, man, here's what I'm trying to sort through. I could do this or I could do that. Should I go visit him? Should I go visit her? Should I not? What do you think is wiser? And you want that. You want a seasoned, old Christian giving you good advice. So follow their example. All right, well, that's specific counsel for a specific group. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to broaden this, and Paul will broaden it to all of us. In, in part two, a biblical principle for all. So this is a biblical principle for everyone. Now, verse 29 sums it up. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Now, notice he goes real cl clearly from the impending distress of the famine or whatever was going on to a much broader principle of the appointed time has grown very short. Now, this is wrapped up, he concludes in verse 31, let those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. So you have, you have two realities. The time is short, and the world around you is passing away, and when you grasp those things, it changes everything. Now here's the reality. Time is a funny, funny thing. Every, every, we, we always feel like t things take forever, and as you grow in life, though, you start to, your tolerance for how long things take just increase. Like, so my son Anson, who's four, his level of tolerance is about one day. It's literally 24 hours. Um, if we tell him, we're not going to do that today, but we'll do it tomorrow, he's like, okay. Okay. Like, we can't go to the park today, buddy, but we can go tomorrow. He kind of looks like, okay. All right, sure. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll deal. And he will remember the next day, by the way. Like, I've passed the age where I'm hoping he'll forget. Now, he'll remember. Dad, remember yesterday when you told me we would go to the park today? Like, yep. Um, but if you tell him next week we're going to the park, he just gives you this look like, what am I supposed to do with that? Next week? Next century? It all is the same to me, Father. It's happening today or tomorrow, right? Now, my older kids, their, their level of tolerance is about a week, Okay. So if it's like, we're not going to go to to your friend's house this week, but we will go next week, the response is like a reluctant, okay. okay. All right. I mean, I'll wait a week. That's fine. You know. But if you tell them, oh, listen, we're going to be very busy this month. We'll get together with them next month. They're looking at you like, what? What? You know, 30 days from now, my interests will all have changed. I don't even know if I'll have these same Pokemon cards in 30 days. I might not even have the same video game. I want to go to his house to trade Pokemon cards and play video games now. 
right? And that's the reality. And I'm looking down at them as a dad. And I'm like, oh, these kids, these kids these days. But listen, listen, I do the same thing just on an adult scale, right? I'm like planning out a vacation. And I realize as an adult, you have to plan like trips out like a year out or whatever. And I'm like, what? So I'm like, okay, eventually I'm going to make these plans so that I will have a vacation next year. Next year? I need the vacation now, right? And whatever your, your tolerance is. And I still remember, it just increases as you go. And I still remember my dear Nana at the end of her life, um, as, as kind of, she realized her life is very much winding down. And uh, she was my mom's mom. She's a precious lady. And I just remember her looking out into the distance once and, and saying, it all goes by so quick, mijo. It all goes by so quick. And you just realize, man, okay, I, I do not live in that reality very much. But if I did, it would change everything. Because you realize so many of the things that impress themselves on you as everything in our modern culture, especially in America, is now, now. Live in the now. Always the now. Never think about tomorrow. Never think about yesterday. Just now. Live in the now. Buy now. Go now. And you back up and you realize, wait a minute. All of these things, when viewed through that snap of my life, some of these things matter a whole lot more and some of them matter a whole lot less. Look, in... in in this phrase in verse 31, the present form of this world is passing away. That present form is not like a metaphysical comment. It means that the culture and the values of the world are going to pass away. Meaning everything that you value right now, everything you praise right now, everything that seems so important to you right now uh, is going to pass away. All the economic realities will pass away. The governments will pass away. Our bank accounts will pass away. Some sooner than others are Possessions will pass away, some sooner than others. All of these things that we live in the reality of, they will pass away. And it's not just the stuff. It's the, the mindset, the values, the realities, the things that you're like, oh, I should have this because everyone else does. I should do this because everyone else does. I should be concerned that I don't have it because everyone else does. All of those things, so many of them, will pass away. I mean, I was reading... A, 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 a while back about what happened, I, I don't know if you read uh, into this a whole lot, but I was reading about a Confederate currency at the end of the Civil War, just because that's a light Saturday's reading for me. I just enjoy, like, what was going on with the Confederate con currency at the end of the Civil War? But I will tell you, I'm here to tell you, that here's what's predictably happened to the Confederate currency at the end of the Civil War. It plummeted in value the worse the war was going for the South, Right? So by the end of the Civil War, you had these Confederate dollars that were printed, and people were, like, offering, like, sure, you want a 1,000 Confederate dollars for $5 American? I'll take it, right? Um, or people that thought, no, no, I think we're going to pull this one out. Sure, of course, I bet we will. Here, I'll trade you. I'll make that trade for you, right? I'll give you my Confederate dollars. And eventually, predictably, they lost the war, and it was worthless. It was worth it. It was monopoly money. There are stories of people using it to stoke their fire at the end of the, of the war, right? And the reality is there's so much in life that is no more than Confederate currency when viewed from the perspective of eternity. All of the things that we're so wrapped up in, at the end of the day, man, it's worthless. And, it, and, and, and to, to go back to the metaphor for the very beginning of the message... So much will not fit in the back of the 2007 Pontiac vibe. When we go from here to there, very few things will be carried over. Things like seeking the glory of God, seeking the kingdom of God, building the church, reaching the lost, discipling others, caring for others. Those things do matter and they matter only more viewed from the perspective of eternity. But so much matters far less, doesn't it? And so, let me encourage you to live, this passage calls us to live like this is true. Life is short, eternity is long. And, and notice, last observation here is the, that phrase, the appointed time has grown very short. That phrase, appointed time, reminds us that the world that we're living in, the time, the, the story we're living in is not random. The appointed time is appointed because God himself has appointed it. Meaning that he is writing history. He is writing history toward a conclusion. And there is an appointed time 
for Christ to come. There's an appointed time for the church to advance. And there is an appointed time for Christ to return. And that reality then reshapes everything we give our money, time, and attention to right now, doesn't it? Because there's only a few things backed by a promise like this. That Jesus will build it and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's the church. There's only a few things like marriage, giving ourselves to a union where we display Christ in the church. That we will live the shadow of it now but see the reality of it one day in heaven. But doing it now matters so much because it points forward to that eternal reality. Being good parents matters now because it points to the reality of God our Father. Right? There are things that become brighter and clearer the closer we live toward eternity. And so Paul then applies that to a series of common life areas. And so let's turn our attention in our, our last couple minutes to how does Paul then apply this? How does this change the way you live? Well, the first area it changes is marriage, where it says, uh, let, what, what's the phrasing there? Uh, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, I, I'm telling you right now, gentlemen, it is not going to work to use that during football season when your wife is like, honey, I really need your help. And you're like, honey, let those who have wives live as though they had none. I'm just being biblical here. I've got to finish the third quarter. Um, it's not going to work. That's not what Paul means. And in fact, it, it, it seems a little harsh. Let those who have wives live as though they have none. But, but here's Paul's point. The way that we, the world thinks about marriage is passing Away. Remember that in the first century, so much of life was wrapped up in marriage and family because it was your family legacy. It was getting, uh, having enough heirs. It was securing your place in society. It was all of the worldly concerns that go along with marriage. And Paul is saying those cultural worldly concerns do not matter. In fact, the most important thing in your life is not making your spouse as happy as they possibly can be. The most important thing in life is not them making you as happy as you possibly can be. The most important thing in life is only seen when we remember the reality that life is short and eternity is long. And marriage is a beautiful gift, as Paul says repeatedly. But it is only a shadow that points forward to the greater reality of Christ and his people reunited for eternity. Right? That is what Paul is after. He's the same guy that wrote Ephesians 5 about the beauty of marriage. But in this context, what he's saying is that beautiful gift of marriage, which we want to prize and celebrate, it is not ultimate. What marriage points to is ultimate. And here's the reality. When you remember this, when you live the reality that, that, that life is short and eternity is long, it actually makes you a better spouse than not believing it. Meaning, if all you care about is that, that marriage relationship now and creating every evening hallmark, magic, romantic moments, right? If, if that's your whole focus, you're never going to help your spouse grow because you're never going to bring up anything that's like, hey, honey, I love you, but I love Jesus more, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point this out to you, right? If you're just trying to create hallmark moments, nobody in a hallmark movie is like, oh, I'm so glad I found you. But I do need to bring up the matter of the way you relate to your parents with dishonor and disrespect, right? And they're under the mistletoe and they're like, what was that? Yeah, the way you treat your parents, it, it really, I don't think honors Christ. And I think that, you know, that maybe, and you're like, all of a sudden they're like, what? We're here in the snowy woods under the mistletoe and you're bringing up my parents, right? And you're never going to do that unless you realize, man, I love this person. And they're going to live in eternity with Christ and I want to help them look like Jesus. But when they bring something up to you, you're not going to be like, how dare you? How dare you bring this up? You're going to be like, awesome. I'm going to meet Jesus soon. I'd like to know about this and work on it before that. Okay? That makes you a far better spouse, right? It, it, even the way you spend money. Look, you could spend, as a married couple, all of your money only on each other. Creating and buying the most magical moments. Going on the most magical trips. And that be your whole focus. Or you can say, man, let's... Use some of our resources to celebrate our marriage and build it, but let's use some of our resources to serve the world and build a kingdom. Right? right that, that changes the way you think about these things. All right. Second area, if you're married, that's one. Second is dating. 
I'm going to talk much more about this next week, but let me just say this. This text, if you get it, if you get that life is short and eternity is long, it really changes what you're looking for in your dating list, right? Everybody has a de facto dating list of things they're looking for, hoping for, uh, anything from I want them to be tall, I want them to not be tall, I want them to be funny, I want them to not be too funny, you know, I want them to be handsome, but not like too handsome. I want them to have a good job, but not work all the time. I want them to uh, be magical and love Christmas, but not be like one of those weird Christmas people with like the village, the like the $500 tiny village. If you have that village, it's okay. Um, everybody has a list, right? But the reality is this, if life is short and eternity is long, it really changes the list. Because you realize However that person looks today, they're going to be old. <laughs> Sorry. And guess what? So will you. You're like, I want to be married to an old lady. Well, you'll be an old man. So, so like that changes the reality of what you're looking for, doesn't it? Man, I want to I marry somebody that I can go through the trials of life with. I want to go through somebody that I can mourn with and rejoice with and, and move with and battle depression with and build the church with and advance the gospel with. Like that, that's what I want. All right, third, joy and sorrow. Now this, again, may seem Paul's harshest statement where he says, those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Now Paul is not saying that you shouldn't mourn. He, he agrees that you should mourn, weep when others weep. Jesus wept at the grave of his friend with his family. But, but there is a, hear me when I say this, there is a major difference between who, those who mourn as if they've lost the most precious thing in their life forever and those who mourn as if they've lost a precious thing in their life for a time. Do you feel the difference between those? One is, this is the most important thing to me and I've lost it. The other grief is, I've lost a very important thing to me. This grief is, I've lost it forever. And this grief is, I've lost it for a time. Right? And it doesn't mean that, that those people do not mourn, but it allows you to, in a sense, be able to, at some point, dry your eyes and take up the work of the kingdom, longing for eternity. But similarly, it, it, it sobers us with moments of joy. Like the best things in life, it provides a little bit of a gut check for. Because, for example, having a child is a wonderful gift. But your life purpose does not switch at that moment to make them as happy as they possibly can be at every waking moment. Your life purpose is to introduce, to care for them and introduce them to Jesus. That they might walk alongside you and follow him. Similarly, if, if you finally get to retirement, man, brother, sister, we rejoice with you. But, but scripturally, retirement is not meant to be a never-ending victory lap. But rather, a time for rejoicing in what God has done and a time of service for others. As long as the Lord allows. All right, last one, possessions. Uh, I'll do this one just because it's relevant in December. Uh, let those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods. Right? What you buy and what you give your money and attention to is shaped by the fact that life is short and eternity is long. And here's my prediction for my house by the end of the year. My kids could not be more hyped for Christmas Day, but by December 31st, the most precious object that they proclaim on December 25th will be lost and or broken by December 31st. That is the reality. It is inevitable that by the end of the year, some child will ask, when is the next time we're getting presents? That will happen. And as I look down at my kids and I'm like, you, you little guys, you don't understand life at all. Here's the reality. I do the exact same thing. Because I'm looking at my TV that I, like, I was excited when we got it. It was upscaled 4K, you know, whatever that means. And it turned out it's not real 4K, but it's kind of like 4K. Um, and, and, I got, and then now I'm seeing the, the, the TVs at Sam's or Costco, and I'm like, oh, oh, those are televisions. I am watching this little black and white doohickey over here where, like, it, how am I, am I expected to experience the Dallas Cowboys season with essentially what is a 1950s television. I mean, I could barely make out the picture. I mean, is that Dak Prescott? I don't know. You know, and yet 
the reality is, once I buy inevitably another television, it will only be a series of years before I begin to wonder, when can I get a new one? When am I going to get a new computer? When am I going to get a new car? When am I going to get a new house? When am I going to get a new addition? I don't like these bath towels. These towels are scratchy, right? Or whatever it is. And here's the reality. Everything in America is oriented toward the next purchase. But Christians are to be oriented toward eternity. And the reality is this, that thing that you buy that seems, and it may give you a spark of joy and a, a, awesome. I hope you get some nice gifts on Christmas. I'm not being the Grinch, like, don't you give any Christmas presents. I'm not saying that. Um, what I am saying is it governs us. It reigns in the rampant consumerism we find ourselves in, in our hearts. When we remember, not everything is going to fit in the back of the 2007 Pontiac vibe. And long before that, long before we take that car ride from this life into the next, so much of what we thought was valuable will be invaluable, will be lost, will be broken, will be forgotten. So let's live accordingly. Let me end with this. Um, the futon I slept in that I bought at Ikea was actually not the worst place I have ever slept. The worst place I have ever slept was on the floor of a laundry room at my friend's house in Maryland. Uh, I needed a place to crash, and there was a group of single guys that lived in this house together, and they all said, sure, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, go come on in. But when I arrived, I discovered that, oh, the extra bed, they only had one extra bed, that bed was taken by a temporary guest for the month, but they did have a couch. It was pretty comfortable. Unfortunately, that couch was also taken by another friend that they'd forgotten was coming into town that weekend, leaving my options, A, the laundry floor, or B, the floor of the laundry room, right? They're the same option. You're like, well, is it? no, they're the same. That was what I could do. Now, it smelled weird in the laundry room. This is a group of single men, uh, not known for their standards of hygiene, and this was the place that they put their dirty clothes, you can imagine the smell was not Christmas magic. It was not great. They gave me a sleeping bag. The sleeping bag had some kind of hair in it, some kind of animal hair that I did not understand what it was. Was it a dog? Was it a cat? Was it a raccoon? Nobody knows. That's what I had. So I'm sleeping on the floor of a laundry room. One of the guys comes in and says, hey, you don't mind if I do a quick load, do you? And I'm like, okay, you know what? Sure, that's fine, you know. But my situation was transformed, my mindset was transformed by the reality that I was there to see this girl I was dating named Jen. And I would have taken any place, right? I would have slept in my rental car or borrowed car if I had to because there was some, I was falling in love with this girl. And so putting up with what I put up with for two nights, it was a long two nights, but the two nights was worth it especially because, hey, spoiler alert, it worked out. And those two nights were worth by far the last 15 years of being married to this girl, right? And, and that reality of like, okay, this is for now, but I hope that what I'm doing now is going to pay off forever. That is the Christian life, brothers and sisters, it is judiciously deciding, okay, okay, there may be some times in my life that the Lord is calling me to sleep on the floor of a laundry room or to sleep on a janky old, janky bed from Ikea, but it is worth it 100,000% because of where he's taken me, because of what's going to matter in eternity. And some of the sacrifices, the things I give up in life, man, I'm not going to miss them in eternity. And some of the good gifts I hold right now, well, they're, they're going to be only more glorious in eternity if I've given myself to the right things. And the things that I consider so important, that the world considers so important, they might all blow away by the time I get to eternity. Life is short. Eternity is long. So live accordingly. And let me just end with just a, a plea. If, if you do not know Jesus, man, this, this text is for you. It's not an accident that you're here today. Because the reality is this. You and your life are a blink of an eye. I mean, just think about the last decade. What were you doing 10 years ago, right? That's what the next 10 years are going to be like, boom, boom. And it's just going to be like this and then done. 
So the reality is this. If you're so consumed with what's happening here, what's happening now, what's happening next year, brother, sister, let me ask you this. What about the next hundred years? When you stand before the Lord, what are you going to do? What are you going to say in that moment? And here's the good news. The good news of Christmas is this. The good news of Christmas is not that God sent down a document where he's like, hey, listen, I need everyone to do 100,000 good deeds, and that way when they get to the pearly gates, I'll let them in. But if you don't hit the quota, I can't help you. That's not what the Lord did. No, what he did instead was send his son to live as a human being, both God, both man, to live the perfect life you and I couldn't live, to die the death he did not deserve but that we did, to rise to new life so that he could open a way for those of us who are messed up, who invest in the wrong things, who do the wrong things, who spend decades doing the wrong things, to be made right with God if we've trusted in Jesus Christ. And you today can go from fearing that day of death to cheering it on because it only brings you to Jesus. Won't you believe in Christ today? And well, let's stand and let's pray together. Lord, I pray uh, for all of us, Lord, that in, in the midst of this season, Lord, we would, we would remember what truly matters. Lord, so much of our life goes by so quickly. So much of our life will pass away. I pray that you'd help us to grab hold of the things that won't pass away. I, I pray that we would carry with us through our lives those things that matter most. Lord, may we view our relationships through that lens, the joys and sorrows in life through that lens, and, and, the, and the purchases even we make, the investments of money we make through that lens. And Lord, I specifically pray for brothers and sisters here today who are single. Lord, I'm so grateful for the encouragement Krista gave from her own life today. And Lord, we want to pray for them and pray over them. Lord, I, I pray specifically that they would hear your counsel from your word, that, that wherever they are is a gift. Lord, it is a gift from the hand of a good giver. It is not the gift that was left over. It's not the gift that uh, uh, you, you were out of the good ones and so they got that one. Lord, it is a gift that is good and it is accompanied by you. It's accompanied by your presence. Lord, you so desire their good that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that we, so, we celebrate this month. Your, your gifts are so good that you sent the gift of your son to live their life they couldn't live, to die the death they deserve so that they might have a future and a hope eternally with you. And so Lord, I pray that they would see that same giver has given them the life circumstances in front of them right now. And Lord, I pray, I pray that, that some of the things that the world goes after that they don't have, Lord, they would see it's really not worth going after anyway. And some of the things that they're holding on to in their life that the rest of the world thinks is strange, Lord, those things of, of investing in, in friendship and family and, and in eternity and the kingdom and the church and the gospel, Lord, those things that seem small right now are going to be beautiful when viewed through the lens of eternity. So I pray you'd bring them encouragement as we sing.